Well, welcome to this assembly of Blaine Baptist Church, and glad to see each of you here safely this cold, uh, wintry morning. Um, It may be that this ends up being the coldest Valentine's Day on record in Minnesota. Uh, We'll see, we'll see. But uh, uh, good to have each of you with us here this this morning as we look forward uh, to things upcoming and events, um, Lord's Supper this evening, and other than that, nothing uh, church-wide of note, and so uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, This uh, day we're praying for uh, First Baptist Church in Faribault, Pastor Jared Matthews. Uh, I actually um, know Jared and talked to him last week, planned to talk to him this this coming week, Um, but pray that God would bless uh, all the trials that various churches are having because of uh, COVID, like us, Uh, they're, they're having... Uh, too, so pray for pray for them, and then uh, just to note uh, uh, Judy's condition. So I did get update from Judy, and there hasn't been any improvement because of the injections. So uh, this coming Wednesday, uh, she's going to be starting a new eye drop regimen. Um, I think it was three times or four times a day. And so uh, she'll be doing eye drops to try to help. Um, well, the doctor, the eye doctor didn't know uh, why the problem was not being resolved in, in, her, in her eye. So pray that, uh, pray that her other eye wouldn't become a problem. Um, she probably can pass her, um, her driver's test later in the year uh, if, her, if her good eye stays uh, good. So pray. Pray for, uh, for Judy there. Um, otherwise, our scripture memory, working in terms of the, the gospel and God's kindness in giving forgiveness and the joy of knowing the complete, uh, the complete forgiveness of sins. Isaiah 43 and verse 25, the Lord says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isaiah 43 and verse 25. The Lord takes upon himself to be the one who wipes out sin's penalty, who forgives sin. And you have this noted uh, in the beginning of this verse. I, even I. I and the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isaiah 43 and verse 25. Might we rejoice to uh, look together to the God who wipes out transgressions, and might we rejoice to have him uh, be the one who has wiped out ours and rejoice together even as we sing uh, this this day let us bow in prayer and let us look together to our lord lord you are the great creator as such you deserve our full allegiance 
And yet we, your creation, have rebelled against you. And how heinous it is that we would turn our backs on the one, not just who created us, but the one who continues to sustain us and the one in whom alone we can have eternal help and life. And so, Lord, might you rejoice our hearts to know the forgiveness that you give for sins. We thank you that you have initiated salvation's plan. You did not wait for us to request or desire it, but you took it upon yourself to be gracious and merciful to us through Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we can come together and sing the praises of who you are this day. We pray that you might bless other churches in doing the same. We think of the weather and we are mindful of the concerns given how cold it is. Might you be gracious in continuing to allow us to have safety as we travel through the day. Might you do the same for churches around our state and in this whole area of the country and Canada. Might you get glory as you allow churches to gather and to lift up your name and the name of your son. We pray, Lord, that you might be kind in working as the creator who continues to intervene and work in creation providentially. You have given us all manner of helps and strengths in even physical things. And so we pray that you might be kind in Judy's life. Uh, Lord, you could even now stop the deterioration of her eye. You could improve and bring it back to full health. We pray that you might be gracious in being kind in, in Judy's eyesight. If you might be gracious too to allow her um, to continue to be able to, to drive and to have the sight she needs for that, we would pray to that end. We pray for your uh, will in the arrival of, of the Carlson's little one. Um, might you get the glory as we wait and might we, uh, might we be able soon to rejoice in your answer to this prayer. We thank you, Lord, for other churches that are faithful in preaching and proclaiming the gospel and seeking to uphold the truth of your word in its fullness. And I pray that you would bless Pastor Matthew and bless the church in Faribault. Uh, might you uh, use them in ministry even this day. And I pray that you uh, as well would use them to bless us as an association of churches as we uh, head down there in September 
Uh, might you use our, our meetings to your glory. I thank you, Lord, that you have worked through Christ to show us just a little bit of the greatness of your love for us and your care for us. We pray that our joy in telling others of your love and care would be clear uh, even in our time together this morning. We pray that you would bless as only you can. You can change hearts. You can work in the souls and lives of men and women in our hearts. We pray that you might. We look forward to this service together. And if your son does not come, we pray that we might by his name bring glory to you. Amen. Psalm 24. God kindly uh, coordinated the theme of this morning with the psalm, singing of our creator. Might we read together Psalm 24. Psalm 24, a psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and is not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. That the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors. That the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Amen. We're beginning in song in the gray hymnal, hymn number 65. We praise thee, O God, our Redeemer, Creator. Hymn number 65 in the gray. Let us join in song together. Hymn number 65. As you're able, would you stand as we sing?
Number 52 in the gray, let the whole creation cry. up the scriptures this morning again, Jeremiah and the 51st chapter is our scripture reading, Jeremiah 51 and beginning in verse number 10. Jeremiah 51, 10, and as the song says, God is, God is good, God is great, he is the king And even when we don't understand his plans, sometimes evil men prosper uh, as Babylon has prospered and conquered Judah at this time in in the writing of Jeremiah. God was going to bring about the conquering of Babylon as well. And if we think that evil men get away with the things that they do that are wrong, remember God always has the last say in that. So Jeremiah 51.10. The Lord has brought about our vindication. Come, let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. Sharpen the arrows, 
take up the shields. The Lord has stirred up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, because his purpose concerning Babylon is to destroy it. For that is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. Set up a standard against the walls of Babylon, make the watch strong. Set up watchmen, prepare the ambushes. For the Lord has both planned and done what he spoke concerning the inhabitants of Babylon. O you who dwell by many waters, rich in treasure, your end has come. The thread of your life is cut. The Lord of hosts has sworn by himself, Surely I will fill you with men, as many as locusts, and they shall raise the shout of victory over you. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Take the gray hymnals once more. Turn with me to number 53. I sing the mighty power of God. Singing of our creator this morning. I sing the mighty power of God. Number 53. Everywhere that man can be, 
As the ushers come for this morning's offering, I invite you to take the gray hymnal and turn back to 46, probably a lesser known hymn of exaltation in the one who has created the glory of the skies, hymn number 46, for the beauty of the earth. Let us pray and rejoice in our creator God, even in his provision this day. Lord, day by day, and even minute by minute, you sustain us, the world and all that is in it. And we thank you that looking out upon your creation, we can be reminded of your glory. We pray that as you have provided for us, to this present moment that you might be gracious in continuing to provide for us. Be gracious, we would pray, in multiplying the gifts to your glory and using that which is given for the proclamation of the gospel that sinners would be confronted, that saints would be edified. Help us, Lord, for you are the God alone who can help. We pray, trusting in, praying in our Savior's name. Amen. singing of our creator turn with me number 64 one aspect we may not think about is even the gift of time our god who is beyond and outside of time in ways we can't comprehend gifted us with days and weeks and months and years all measured by his creation this day at thy creating word number 64 would you stand as we sing
Amen. And then 136, uh, Psalm 136, in the back of the blue hymnals, praise God for he is kind. 136a, praise God for he is kind. Let us sing together. Timothy will begin at the end of our passage for this morning, the last verse, verse number 17. First Peter 
and the first uh, so first Timothy, excuse me, and the first chapter, and then looking to verse seventeen. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Might the Lord be for us, the one whose mercies we forever sing, whose honor and glory we forever raise. Let us uh, bow and ask the Lord to bless even as we listen to the word of our God. Lord, you are the king. Might your grace to us be clear this day. You're the one who has sent your son to be our savior. Might his Mercy be clear to us this day. You are the one who has called us and by your Holy Spirit empowered us to serve your son. Might we rejoice in that service this day. We pray this in our blessed Savior's name. Amen. Paul has been writing to Timothy for our sake. And as we saw in verses 3 through 11 last week, Paul is zealous that the truth of the gospel be not marred, be not obscured, be not diminished. And so as Paul has written of the truth of the gospel, so now he writes of how that truth has changed and transformed in his life and how God in his mercy and grace has called Paul to be a servant of the gospel, an apostle taking forth the gospel message. And so we have here in this a section of scripture from verse 12 through verse 17. Very clearly the joy of Paul in understanding himself as a servant of God. Unworthy, vile and wretched even. But he called into the service of the Lord. And I think as we contrast this section with the previous section... We might also be able to see that which one of the commentators notes. Only God's grace set Paul apart from his opponents. Only God's grace set Paul apart from his opponents. If we are going to be the servants that God desires for us to be, it will only be by God's grace. If we are going to be faithful as God desires his servants to be, it will be only by God's faithfulness. And if we have the joy of sin forgiven, it will be only by God's 
long-suffering mercy. And so, might we read together with joy? 1 Timothy, beginning in verse 12, down through that 17th verse. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is strengthened. Strengthened, verse 12. For what? This word strengthened uh, is the same word that's used back uh, over in uh, Philippians. We're strengthened in all things in Christ. By Christ, we can do all things. Christ, who has strengthened us. As we rejoice in uh, this strength that is given to us by Christ Jesus, our Lord. What is it that Paul was strengthened for? What is it that we in, uh, in some manner are strengthened for? Well, Paul says it very clearly, the end of verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me, putting me into service. Now, this word for service is the a common word for service. It is the common word for a servant. And as you know it, it is the word for a deacon. Word for a deacon. The one who serves, the one who labors. And here, very clearly, Paul has put into the service of the Lord for the proclamation of verse 11, the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And Paul is making the, uh, the work that God has done in his life Paul is making it very personal and personally proclaiming this work of God in his life to Timothy and through Timothy to us. This section of uh, this section of Paul's uh, writing has more references to I and to me, uh, both first person verbs and first person pronouns than any other paragraph in all of 1 Timothy. Paul is rejoicing in how God has worked in his life. 
But Paul isn't just rejoicing in his uh, opportunity and the grace and mercy which God has shown in calling him into service. But as we see, um, as Paul is considering himself in verse 16, Paul considers himself an example for those who would believe in Christ for eternal life. So I think that as we consider the uh, servanthood of Paul, as we consider the deaconing that Paul has been called to, we rightly understand that we ourselves could pattern our ministry, our service, our labors in service of the Lord after what uh, Paul proclaims that the Lord has called him to here. Now, we aren't called to be apostles, verse, verse number one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. But we are called to the proclamation of the gospel. We are called to be faithful in serving the Lord. We are called to be faithful in proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ in faith and in love, verse 14, to uphold all that concerns our Savior. And so I would encourage us with three uh, simple truths as we consider Paul's example of service this day. First, we serve because of Christ. Second, we serve despite our sinfulness. Third, we serve for the glory of the Son and the Father. We serve because of Christ. It is very clearly Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened uh, Paul and put him into service, placed him. This is is what you would do if you would take any uh, of those uh, trinkets around your house that you decorate your house with and you decide that the uh, you decide that the mantle needs something new as a centerpiece on it. You take something off and you place it somewhere else, maybe in storage. You take another decoration and you place it on the mantle. Uh, Paul has been placed. The Lord Jesus has placed him into service. Not only has uh, Paul been placed, but Paul has been placed because of the grace of the Lord. Uh, Verse number uh, 14 Uh, Actually, verse 13, the the latter half. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. Uh, Paul has been placed into service, uh, not because of who he is, but because of the grace and mercy, the abundant uh, grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We serve because of Christ. Why does Christ call the sinner Paul into his service? Well, verse 16 reminds us of the fact that we serve because of Christ in yet another way. Verse 16, yet for this reason, I found mercy, even though I was the chief of sinners, Paul says, I found mercy. Why? So that in me, as the foremost, as the chief, 
as the worst of sinners. So that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience. As an example of those who would believe in him for eternal life. Where you find the work of Jesus in the life and heart of a person, drawing them to salvation, there you find reason for us to give praise and glory to our Savior. We serve because of Christ. And Paul understands that as he, the the chief of sinners, has been called into this service, he, as the chief of sinners, would be an example for those who would believe. This this marvelous deed of Christ taking Paul, who, who, as we'll note in a moment, is a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor, verse 13. This gracious and abundantly gracious deed of taking Paul and placing him into service, this is but one of of the gracious deeds that God has done in in the lives of any number of us who have been called by God and placed into his service. If we are those, to put it another way, to use the language of the text, if we are those who believe in Christ for eternal life, then we are those who are in the, following the example of Paul, have been taken from our sinfulness and placed into service. Do we, do we think lightly of our service for the Lord? We ought never. We ought never. Why? Because this is service for the Lord Christ, the one who has placed us into his service. As we are those who believe in the Lord Christ and rejoice in the hope that faith and love for our Savior Jesus Christ brings, we thus come to understand that by belief in him, we have eternal life. Given all that, uh, that Christ has called us into service for, give us, given all the benefits of this service that Christ has placed us into, how much more ought we to delight that we serve because of Christ? Secondly, not only do we serve because of Christ, but we serve despite our sinfulness, despite our sinfulness. Remember, Paul is the model. And Paul is being put forth here as the model, the chief of sinners, whether he's speaking hyperbolically, in hyperbole, or whether he understands himself as might easily be the case, having so uh, vilely opposed the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord's church. Whether he 
thinks of this as hyperbole or, or he thinks of it as, as actually applicable to him, that he is the chief of sinners. He's an example of the greatest of sinners being taken and put into the Lord's service. We, we don't serve the Lord because of who we are. We, like Paul, the greatest of sinners. And if, if Paul is our example, then we do well to think in this way. We, we are not half-hearted sinners. We are not mostly good sinners. We are wicked and vile and arrogant sinners. Note the language that Paul uses there in that uh, 13th verse. Even though I, Paul is speaking of his personal experience, even though I was formerly a blasphemer. Now, in common parlance, uh, blaspheming is, uh, is, is uh, language to slander, um, to slander, to cast insults, to bring derision, um, especially uh, derision in terms of God, to slander God. And so this language uh, even is used in, in our, uh, in our, rarely, but still used in our experience. But a note that I think something more is going on in terms of this language of blaspheming uh, for Paul. And I would, I would encourage us to think this way because of the, uh, this language is only used, um, blasphemer is only used uh, very rare times in the, in the New Testament. But the verb form of it uh, is used with some bit of extensiveness. And for example, it's used uh, elsewhere of people who are speaking against Paul and of those who are blaspheming. Uh, turn with me, if you would, back to Acts in the 13th chapter. Back to Acts and chapter number 13. Now, Paul is on his first missionary journey. And Paul is going from Antioch. And curiously, Paul has arrived at Antioch. So he, he leaves Antioch in Syria, the, the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea, and he goes to Antioch in Pisidia, Pisidian Antioch, uh, which is to say Antioch not too far from the Aegean Sea. Um, and as he's in uh, Pisidian Antioch, uh, here is the, the, the uh, troubles that befall him and the response that is had by some in verse 43 and following. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them were urging them to continue in the grace of God. So Paul's been preaching the gospel. And he's been opposed in the preaching of the gospel by the Jews in the synagogue. But some... Uh, who are willing to continue to hear, he, he urges them, continue in the grace of God. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. 
But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Uh, this word jealousy isn't exactly like our word jealousy. It does include the idea of uh, being, being uh, I don't know another word to send them, uh, being jealous like we think of it, uh, being envious of somebody else's position. But this word jealous also includes in the, the Greek language, it also includes the idea of zeal. So if you, if you think of uh, someone getting red-faced in an argument, they're jealous of what they're trying to convince you of, and they're zealous of that. that that's the word jealous here. Uh, verse verse uh, 45 again. But when the Jews, uh, crowds, they, uh, the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting. That is opposing or speaking against the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And this is the same root word as our, our root word in First Timothy. They were blaspheming. Now note, Paul is speaking about uh, the gracious gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of God, verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it, you thrust it away, literally, uh, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So very clearly, it is the gospel that is at issue. It is the gospel that the, uh, the uh, Jews in, in Antioch here are rejecting are thrusting away because this, this same gospel is the gospel that um, could bring them to eternal life, to eternal life. So blaspheming isn't just used in the scriptures, uh, especially, particularly in the New Testament. It isn't just used of speaking against God and slandering God, but it's used also of slandering the gospel, slandering the gospel. Uh, you, you see the same kind of thing in uh, Acts 18 and verse 5, the next occurrence of the verbal form of this word blaspheme. Acts 18 and verse 5 and 6. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews, and note what he's preaching, that Jesus was the Christ. He's preaching Jesus is the Messiah. That's the word Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. If Jesus is the Messiah, then he's the Savior for the Jews. But when they, the Jews, resisted, uh, this, this word means to set oneself against or to arrange oneself in battle against. When they resisted uh, and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and uh, said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. What, what, have, what have these uh, Jews rejected here? How is it that they have blasphemed? Well, Paul was speaking that Jesus is the Messiah. 
by opposing in their, their, their language and actions, by opposing Jesus, they have blasphemed. So blasphemy is not just used of slandering God. It's used in the New Testament and by Paul, it's used of slant and Luke, by, but it's used of slandering the gospel and slandering Jesus which, which helps us in understanding, doesn't it, that Jesus is God. You can blaspheme against God, Old Testament, all manner of examples. You can blaspheme against Jesus. And that is exactly the blasphemy that Paul says he was guilty of. He was guilty of blaspheming. How? He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He he was trained by the most notable of rabbis. And he was probably in training to himself be the chief of the rabbis. He, he He was on the path to be most notable. And yet, he, how can he as a Jew, how can he blaspheme? He's not going to speak against God, is he? He's not going to speak against his monotheistic roots, is he? But very clearly, he proclaims by his own writing that he has. How? Because he spoke against Jesus and against Christ's church, against the gospel, against the gospel. Not only is Paul put forth uh, as a blasphemer, he's not serving the Lord because of his lack of sinfulness. He's also put forth as a persecutor, a persecutor. And this language is is, um, reminiscent. This reminds us of what Paul did in Acts 26. This is the last we'll be going back to Acts, but... Uh, Acts 26, Paul is giving his defense before Agrippa, and Paul um, is recounting uh, his past. And in Acts 26 and verse number 9, we read, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So his hostility, his blasphemy against Jesus, uh, it's not just blasphemy in word, blasphemy also in action. Uh, How how can it be that God would raise the dead? Um, That that God would raise uh, Jesus from the dead and put him forth as the savior of the Jews? Uh, so then I thought myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 10, and this I, uh, is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to, get this, blaspheme. Paul thinks 
that the Christians are blaspheming. When it actually is he himself who's not only guilty of blasphemy, but guilty of being a violent um, uh, persecutor. I tried to force them to blaspheme and being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Here is Paul's testimony. He, he is not guiltless. He is not blameless. He serves the Lord despite his sinfulness, his past sinfulness. And then note also the last uh, word, violent aggressor. I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor, formerly a violent aggressor. Uh, This word has to do, uh, again, both with word and action, arrogance and insolence in word and and in action. It's uh, only used, this exact word is only used one other time um, in Romans 1, where there's the list of those who oppose God and are given over to all manner of sin. Uh, They are called slanderers, haters of God, insolent. And that's the the word that's that's here. Um, He was a violent aggressor. He was insolent against uh, the the people of the Lord, the Lord's people. Um, But even though this exact word is only used one other time, the root word is the root word from which we get the word hubris. Hubris. The, The arrogance to think that a person could oppose God? The arrogance to think that uh, Paul could speak out against God before he came to the Lord as Savior? Hubris. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10 includes this, this, uh, this word, uh, the root word of our, our word. Therefore, I am well content. Uh, the one who was the persecutor has been transformed. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults. And that's our word. With with damage to myself, whether by word or by deed. Insults with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10. Paul has been, he formerly was, blasphemer, persecutor, and arrogant. And yet, the end of verse 13, I was shown mercy. Or the beginning of verse 16, yet I found mercy. You see, Though Paul deserved God's judgment, God showed Paul his love in Christ. We see this in abundance. And that's the language of verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. The grace of uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ brought Paul to a point of faith 
that was directed to the Lord Jesus. And love that was directed for the Lord and the children of the Lord. In, in contrast to who he was, he has been transformed. Whereas he previously did not believe, now he believes. Where he previously did not love the Lord and the Lord's children, now he does love the Lord and the Lord's children. This faith and love is mentioned by Paul elsewhere. The combination of faith and and love and even in in passages like ours that are passages of thanksgiving. So this is a common way to speak of uh, we as believers having faith in Jesus and we as uh, believers loving our Lord and loving um, his uh, servants and his his children. Uh, Ephesians 1 and verse 15, Paul is writing of the Ephesians, for this reason I too, having heard the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I too rejoice. Or 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3, there's a similar uh, wording in 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3. Constantly bearing in mind your, you, you Thessal, the people of Thessalonica, you believers in Thessalonica, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. Paul, Paul gives thanks because of faith directed to Jesus and love directed to Jesus. We ought to believe in Jesus. We ought to forsake our former way of life in sin and rejecting that former way of life in sin, we ought to run to Jesus and trust Jesus that he can forgive sin. And he will. If we will go to Jesus and ask him to be our shield from God's wrath against our sin, then we can have the hope that even as the end of verse 16 says, that those who believe in him will have eternal life, to alter the language a little. There is eternal life. There is salvation. For those who believe in the Lord. But note also, this belief isn't just merely a head knowledge. It's not uh, like um, if Haddon grows up and he says, yes, I know that Jesus lived. And yes, I know Jesus died on the cross. And yes, I know that three days later he was risen from the dead. It's not as though if he only said, yes, I know those things and I believe those things, that he would be a believer. Note, faith and love. And I think it's very important not to forget the affections. Paul is underscoring the affections. We, we can know that Jesus is the only Savior of the world, and he could still not be our Savior. 
It, it, it takes not knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God in flesh. The demons, they believe and tremble. It takes knowing and loving. Loving the fact that Jesus is our, our Savior from sin. That Jesus, in his grace and mercy, will shield us from God's wrath against our sin. Have you decided to have faith in Jesus? Have you decided to love Jesus? This, Paul says, has eternal consequence. It leads to eternal life. So we serve because of Christ. We serve despite our sinfulness and we serve to the glory of the Son and the Father. Note the glory of the Son. Paul has been taken as formerly being a blasphemer and persecutor and arrogant and chief among sinners in those regards as a sinner. And he's taken so that, verse 16, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience. Here's the glory of our our Savior. He is perfectly long-suffering, perfectly merciful, perfectly gracious towards those who would turn to him in trust and love. Can we have or find or ever know a better Savior? Jesus, perfect in his patience. Peter speaks of the patience of the Lord for salvation. Paul elsewhere speaks of the patience of the Lord for salvation. And here Jesus is lifted up as the one who is perfect in his patience. Not only do we serve to the glory of the Son, but we serve also to the glory of the Father. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a doxology. This is an exaltation of who God is. This is formulaic language to lift up the greatness of all that God is. We ought to be those of all people who understand that doxology is basic to how we should act in our relationship to God. Doxology, the New Testament doxology is made of four parts and Unlike other letters in the convention of the Greco-Roman writing, the New Testament is where you'll find doxologies. 
Doxology is noted by four, uh, four attributes. An object of praise, in this instance, to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. Uh, usually, for those who are interested in Greek, in, in the dative, as you would expect. Secondly, the element of praise. So, to the king, and in this case, not only glory, doxa, from which we get doxology, or with the relation there, but also honor. Glory and honor, uh, the, the king, the only God is deserving of. Not only an object of praise and an element of praise, but an indication of the time of that praise. Uh, when will this praise be? Forever and ever. Whether uh, Paul is speaking Hebraically or whether Paul is speaking with uh, an eye to Greco-Roman kind of thinking about time and eternity. Uh, in either case, the, the point comes down to the same realm of meaning that both in the past and the present and in the future, the king, the only God, is worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. And then a confirmatory response, a confirmatory response. And here you have the amen. Given all that God has done for us, shall we not serve faithfully for his glory? I've been reading 17th century Lutheran hymn writers and uh, and writers on the course of being faithful in our spiritual life with the Lord. And I think one of them put it well. Who can comprehend the greatness of this mystery by thought? Still less express it by words. Here is the great sublimity and the great vileness, the greatest power and the greatest weakness, the greatest majesty and the greatest fragility. The contrast between God and man. Continuing to quote, What is more sublime than God or viler than humanity? What is more powerful than God or weaker than humanity? What is more glorious than God or more fragile than humanity? But that utmost power found a way for all these to be conjoined when that utmost justice required such a necessary union. Still, who can comprehend the magnitude of this mystery? An infinite price of equal value was required to pay for human offenses because humanity had turned itself away from the infinite good, which is God. But what can be equal in value to an infinite God? The marvel of the incarnation? God gives himself as the payment for our infinite aggression, infinite by virtue of being against an infinite God. But what can be equal in value to an infinite God? Therefore, infinite justice took from itself, as it were, a price of equal value to itself. Furthermore, God the Creator suffered in the flesh so that flesh of the creature would not suffer for eternity. The infinite good was dishonored. And only a mediator of infinite power could intercede. Yet, what is infinite besides, besides God? 
Therefore, God himself reconciled the world to himself. God himself became the mediator. God himself redeemed the human race by his blood. To which we say, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. Great things he has taught us. And by our Savior, our salvation is one. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Might the Lord help us in service. Might we pray to that end. Lord, thank you that you have called us into your service. And if any here are not sure that they are trusting in you and loving you, loving your son who came to die in our place, Lord, I pray that even today, They might trust in Jesus and love him. Might you forgive us as sinners. Thank you that you've taken us to be your servants despite the greatness of our sin. And might we as your servants be all to your glory. We pray your help and care in this. We pray as we look forward to eternal life. So now for a mere brief time, we might be faithful in service. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let us look to our God, sing his glory and his honor. If you take the great hymnals, turn with me to number 81. Number 81 in the Great Hymnals, Depth of Mercy. Can there be mercy still reserved for me? Number 81 in the Great Hymnals, would you stand as we sing? We'll sing all five verses, the last verse, a cappella.
join us for Lord's Supper this evening. God bless. You are dismissed.